Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is uh, Thursday, and you know we're going to do Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and the power panel is in place. We've got Pastors Tom Parrish and Tom Brock, fresh back from his three-week trip to Italy. Ciao, baby. Italy. Yeah, wow. did you eat a lot of pasta? I did, and it's better here than there. What? Ita- Italian food in Italy is very That is blah. a scandalous statement. I cannot I believe you're scandalous, saying that. It's my Brock. favorite food, but I'd much rather have it here than there. It's blah over. You get lasagna in, in Italy, it's just blah. Yeah, so you'd rather be at the Olive Garden. There we go. <laughs> Bottomless salad for Brock. I love it. it. And all the breadsticks you can eat. There you go. And versus, versus Rome. The I don't get it. I, me coming. So. <laughs> there does seem like a miss in there somewhere for no, sure. I mean, really, yes. I'm serious. I'm very confused. Uh, and Dr. Peter Kapsner is here. At 007, you know, is not here. He's on a mission of some kind. He is indeed. I don't know where he is, but I'm sure he's in a tuxedo right now <laughs> doing some kind of Crime-solving thing. <laughs> I would hazard that that is true. He, he claims it's about kids' care, but we know better. We know better. We know better. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's all the smokescreen. Indeed. But I think he is back next Thursday, which I'm looking forward to. I have not seen him in a while, so it's it's nice to see him in, in person. Yeah, he was in studio last week with us, and it was just delightful to actually yeah. see him off mission like that. Yeah, yeah, right. It was great. So you know the way this uh, show works. We take your questions, so let us know what they are. 877-933-2484. If you've ever had a question you've wanted to ask your own pastor, but maybe didn't have the courage to do it, and or maybe you've just been thinking about something for a long time, struggling on a passage of Scripture, uh, wondering uh, how you're supposed to think about it, and we're going to do our very best to take the wisdom of this room and apply it to your question, and let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, when you hear the word exhortation, what does that mean? I know Paul instructs Timothy, saying, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. What do you understand exhortation to mean? As I remember it, it's twofold, if I remember right. It's encouraging and it's, well, um, correcting if necessary. Admonishing. Yeah, both of them. Yep. So you need to both encourage people and admonish them when, you're, when you need to. Is exhortation listed in uh, the spiritual gifts in Romans 12? I think it is. I think encouragement is. I don't know uh, if it's the same word or not. Yeah, yeah having, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts mm. in his ex- exhortation. Mm. I know some mm. people have the gift of discouragement. <laughs> <laughs> I've sat through many a class in seminary and college that the leader did not have the gift of exhortation, and it was the longest hour of my <laughs> life. <laughs> but boy, when somebody has that gift, mm-hmm. time just flies, in, and you absorb what they're saying, and you really feel involved in it. So it's a real gift. I see it. I love it. Well, and I think if there needs to be a sense of admonishment, and we all need it, right? So along the journey, we all need to be admonished at certain times. I think when somebody has that gift, 
you, you have a sense of intuitive trust of that person. And so you know that they're thinking about your well-being, not yeah. not exerting power from the pulpit or a bully pulpit yeah. in the church or something. They really care about your genuine well-being. And so I think God gives such people to admonish them because we do need to be corrected. We're sheep. We need to be sort of guided along the path. Sure. And that admonishment can really help when it's gifted well. Yeah. Don't you think in, in this day and age right now, we need more encouragement and exhortation than ever before? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think the encouragement for sure. I think the encouragement comes right now when you're able to tell somebody, hey, look, if you're feeling confused or overwhelmed or anxious, that's actually not weird. The, the circumstances are such in our world around us, in families and relationships, in the political sphere, in our jobs, they are anxiety creating kinds of circumstances. So the encouragement, I think, comes in just naming that it's actually this would be. The, the response that makes sense given given what the the stimulus is, but I think the admonishment is. So, but how do you walk in that? How are you not defeated by it? How how do you how is space created to be a person of light in the midst of it? And how do you need to walk in order to become the kind of person that doesn't get carved up by it, but can really stand within it? And that's where I think that admonishment comes in. I was talking with the gentleman in Ohio this morning, and he and his wife both have uh, an illness. And they have a young daughter. Wonderful people, but he admitted he said the biggest thing in my Christian walk that's a problem right now is I've lost hope. You know, I'm not getting better. My wife isn't getting better. This has gone on for years. And we pretty much isolated ourselves. That's one of the big things right there. You know, when we get isolated, exhortation's hard. And so I encourage people in that situation, if you know people that are in that situation or closed off, pick up the phone and call them. If Mm -hmm. you can go over and see them, see them. They need to see a smiling face and somebody saying, hey, Jesus really does love you. Mm -hmm. It's rough, but we're going to be here for you. Mm -hmm. I'm reading this. It says to exhort is to develop relationships with other believers for the purpose of encouraging them in their spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Good definition. Yeah, I think yeah. that's where that trust comes in, yeah. right? To, to, to just you know, shout the truth at somebody without having that, that sense of well-being in mind for that person, then I think it's off-putting a lot of times. It doesn't mean we shouldn't say the truth. I'm just saying that truth within relationship. But boy, oh boy, that is, that's a really beautiful dynamic duo. And when you think about it in Christianity— Pastors, and the number one thing they have to have above everything else is trust. People trust them. And when they trust them, they can be exhorted, they can be corrected, whatever. It's when the pastor loses that trust. And we've seen too many pastors this day and age that have violated that trust. Mm. And it's something that, uh, and I work with seminary students or other, others, I tell them over and over and over, you know, be the same person at home that you are in the pulpit, be the same person when you teach as you are out at the grocery store, and make sure that people trust you and you don't violate their trust ever. Yeah, I I think we maybe underestimate the epidemic of mistrust, the very understandable epidemic of mistrust in which many people are living because we live in in the kind of society that attempts to consistently wield power through persuasion. And sometimes it happens in businesses in terms of how they market. I mean, if if you are a, a... uh, a person that works at Target, you're going to be setting up the store in such a way to psychologically persuade people to buy your products. Um, if you're a politician, you're constantly spinning the information in such a way as to win the persuasion of the people. And pastors, frankly, and you brought up seminary at Parish, are taught some of these similar arts of persuasion. And and I think the, the spirit is who's supposed to persuade. We're the ones who are supposed to be right. the representatives of the truth. And so I think I, there was a friend of mine who recently was changing jobs and, and um, a person called me as one of the recommendations. Said, so tell me about this person. I said, you know, I think there's a lot of gifting here. I think there's a lot of capacity, but the thing that I can commend him most to you about is that you're going to be able to trust him. He's a wow. person of integrity. You're not going to have to worry about what's going on behind the scenes. It doesn't mean he's perfect. It doesn't mean he doesn't have sin. Right. But here, you're not going to have to ask questions about whether we're going to have another mistrust situation in this. And and 
I found that pretty compelling to be able to say it out loud because I don't know how often I can say that. It was it was really good. Yeah. I think if you, I used to think of exhortation as kind of a negative word, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I find that anymore thanks to this time. No, right I agree, now. but I think there mm-hmm. is a little negative to it. Well, it feels a little negative, but I well, think- it's because. Sometimes I don't want to be exhorted. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think the word can mean both. Okay. It can be a negative thing I need to hear, and it can be a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, Which, boy, you know the people who have the gift of encouragement. But if someone's I mean, in the dumper and you, you can say to them, you know, you should start reading the Psalms. I think a, a person that's exhorting them would say, how about we meet for coffee on Tuesday? We'll read the Psalms together. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That, to mm-hmm. me, is we're developing a, a relationship, having some spiritual growth. Yeah. That would be an exhortation, be I better. think, of value. Yeah. It's interesting because I've raised dogs all my life and trained a lot of dogs. And the way this all fits together is that dogs that aren't trained are not good dogs. They are not happy dogs. They're confused dogs because they don't know whether they should bark or not when somebody comes around or they should growl, (laughs) whatever. A well-trained dog can literally be moved by a command. And that's what exhortation does to us. We have the commands of the Lord spoken through the, the preacher or teacher. We hear the word of God, and when we absorb that into ourselves, we are then prepared for life. And life throws a lot of things at us we don't know how to deal with, but when we're well-trained, as the scriptures say, when that exhortation comes, I'm fortified. Mm. You know, I know how to stand up to that, not in a way that I'm arrogant or know all the answers. I don't. I don't know all the answers, but I know who does have the answer, and I know who I'm serving. Mm. That makes me want to say a dog joke. You want to hear a dog joke? No, I, no, I really don't. And nor does anyone else. <laughs> that's, well, that's exhortation that's happening exhortation. in real time right here. Good job, Bill. How about, who, who am I to talk? <laughs> How about I'll, I'll cut a deal with you, Tom. At the break, yes. I will hear the joke. <laughs> it's then, as safe as it can be. And then when we return, yes, all right. we will decide we go. whether or not that's the a, joke will be that's told. A, that's a good, what do they call it, teaser. Well, that's called biblical wisdom. Because yeah. everybody's going to want to hear that joke. some exhortation. There's a lot in what Bill just offered right there. Yeah, you got it. So if somebody says to you, I've got good news and bad news, what do you want to hear first? Bad news first. Let's get this over with. You're a bad news first? Absolutely. Yeah? Peter? For sure, bad news. I'd be wondering what the bad news is in the midst of the bad news. Absolutely. For sure. sure. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I want to hear the bad news because I don't want to get preoccupied with not hearing the good news. That's right. Yeah. You know, I want to hear it first and then decide how we go from there. I've got some good news, bad news jokes, too. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you do. (laughs) All right. I think I'm going to take a break now (laughs) so I can hear the dog joke during the break because uh, the suspense is killing me. But if you have a question, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. 84 again 8779332484 guy talk will be returning in just a minute I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> the, the good news is Ouch. I heard the joke and it wasn't 
that bad. And the bad news is, is we're not telling you. <laughs> it was as clean as it could be. That nah, was fine. It just it went on and on. It took it too long. It was not. practically the whole break. Oh, it did not. Yeah. And the, and <laughs> the, the, the punchline is the dog says DiMaggio. So there you go. <laughs> Maybe you've heard the joke, but we can fill it in for sure. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, uh, in Revelation 22, Jesus says, And behold, I'm coming soon. All right, so 2,000 years doesn't seem that soon to me. Mm. Is there any way to better understand this statement? That's a good question. That is a good question. You know, I think there's a yes and no to this. Yes, it's soon because everybody's going to die real soon. But that's probably, you know, most people are thinking of the second coming at the end of time when he comes down in the clouds and ends the world. So how come it's taken so long? And the answer is in, is it Second Peter? Do not count the slow, uh, patience of God as being slow, but he, he, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For it, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Mm-hmm. So in God's timing, it's not slow. But Bill, a little boy, says, God, is it true that a penny with you is like a million dollars, and a million dollars is like a penny? God said yes. And God, is it true that with you a, a thousand years is like a second, and a second is like a thousand years? And, and God says yes. And so the little boy says, God, can I have a penny? And God says, sure. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> See, the other joke was funnier. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was actually looking at this text the other day uh, for that very same reason. I had some people ask me about it. And the Greek word is tachos for what that's worth. But what it basically <clears throat> means is this. It can also mean swiftly. It can also mean quickly. Now, using the word soon is an okay way to translate it. That's not a problem. Uh, But soon gives the implication that it's going to happen immediately or within Mm -hmm. a short period of time, where much more of the Greek concept is I'm going to come and it's going to be basically a surprise. You're not going to know, but be ready. And when that day comes, it will catch you off guard. And Mm -hmm. people lately, given the pandemic, given all the social unrest rioting, given all of the bitter division with politics. People, I think, have been saying more lately, is this the end? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, the bigger sign is the church is falling away. It talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2, a falling away happening before the coming, before the end. And seeing what some of the churches are doing just drives me crazy. But, you know, we got to think back, the Middle Ages... In Europe, millions died of the Black Plague, and Christians thought this is the end of the t- end of time, and it wasn't. In World War II, Hitler and oh, people yeah. thought he was the Antichrist. End of time, it wasn't. So I hope I hope we're in the end of time. I really do. I, I want Christ to come back. This is driving me nuts. Hmm. But we may not be at the end of time. You know the command that we we hear a lot about people teaching on this, and that's fine. What we don't talk about is Jesus saying, you know, when I come back. You know, I better find you doing what I commanded you to do. Mm-hmm. And the command is not to try to figure out the end times. The command is to make disciples out of people, to share the gospel, to yeah. bring people to living faith. And oftentimes I see people that get so caught up in this, bless mm-hmm. their hearts. They don't have time for discipleship mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't have time for their neighbor because they're reading the next book. They're going to the next seminar. And what, what's the most popular book of the Bible to study? Let's study Revelation, Pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. got to be all about end times for some people and... I understand. People are frustrated. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle life, and it's chaos. And yet, in the midst of that, that's where Jesus shines, and we're called to cling to him even in the midst of the chaos. Uh, I was, uh, I'm going to be 
preaching on this Sunday talking about some of these things. But do you remember back Columbine Massacre mm-hmm. in 99? Rachel Scott was a Christian young girl, very outspoken in her faith. She witnessed to those two guys mm-hmm. that did all the killing weeks before that, and they would mock her at the school. She was the first one they shot when they came in. She, they shot her in the leg and they shot her in the back. She was still breathing. One of the guys rolled her over and said, do you still believe in this, God? And she looked at him and she says, you know I do. And he shot her and killed oh her. That is the kind of faith we need yep. to be looking for yeah. in this chaotic time. Yeah, it is. Boy, I think back to some of those books in the Bible, too, where they were confused by the coming of Jesus and when it might happen. I think it was the the church in the city of Thessalonica that really did believe that they would all see him before they passed away. And then the believers began to pass away and they were a little bit confused by the whole thing. And some of them had stopped working altogether because they just thought, hey, Jesus is coming. Why do we even need to bother with work? Which I do sympathize with that point of view uh, to some degree. But um, But part of Paul's letter to the city of Thessalonica is to help them explain that you need to stay faithful with your witness. You need to keep moving forward with your witness. And he will, I I love what you just said. I've never heard that uh, parish about the idea that coming soon is the idea that it's going to happen swiftly. It doesn't mean soon necessarily in a time standpoint, but when things are sort of cataclysmically crashing down among us, then he's going to come, just bang, yeah. just like that. And, and and the sky is going to zip open and the Son of Man is going to return, this time unveiled in glory, where he is at one time veiled in flesh and begin to set all things right. And that will happen, I think, just in the twinkling of an eye, like we talked yeah. about in Thessalonians. Got a great note from a listener on exhortation. And it's the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to minister words of comfort, consolation, encouragement, and counsel to other members of the body in such a way that they feel helped and healed. Wow. That is a great statement. It's an interesting take on that word, because I guess I've never really understood it until today. Can Mm -hmm. I trouble you to read that again? There was a lot in that. That was really good. The special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to minister words of comfort, consolation, encouragement, and counsel to other members of the body in such a way that they feel helped and healed. Mm. Amazing. I had a former staff member. This is just it's funny how this works. When I had I had big staffs in the church, and I would always meet with them one on one during the week, and I would try to correct them, redirect them, whatever else. Anyway, I left that church, and ten years later, I ran into him, and he said, "You know, I just discovered something. Those times in your office when you were encouraging me and showing me a new direction, or whatever." You were really bawling me out, and I didn't know it. And I I think the Bible calls that exhortation. Mm -hmm. And I was really taken back by that. And, yeah, that's kind of what it was. But all you're trying to do, exhortation, is not to put somebody down. It's to give somebody a new direction. And, you know, God can give you that. I'm I'm thinking of a lady in my old church that you would know, Tom. She's gone to be with the Lord now. But when I first came to that church, and I was at that church 29 years, when I first came, she was difficult. I mean, she was a regular church attender, a Christian woman, but just it was kind of like, ooh, you know, just kind of a critical person. I don't know what happened, but just she all of a sudden became the most yeah. wonderful, kind, you know, kind of encouraging woman. So it's not like if, if you're, I mean, I was raised, I, I remember when I was at seminary, I went home to Omaha and was sitting in the living room with my mom and my sister, and I had been a, away for a long time, and just they were just kind of ragging on people. And I thought to myself, this is the way I was raised. But because I, I had been away with uh, from it for so long, and now I'm back in them, I was just kind of raised in kind of a critical atmosphere. 
But God, if you were raised in that, God actually can turn that around like he did for this lady at the church. Sure. Here's the sad part, Tom. You know, I was there with you at that time. Yes. And the church was planning a 30th anniversary for you and a round-the-world trip, but you left in your 29. Dang nabbit. I know. We lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys think exhortation can happen in a way where it doesn't necessarily feel all... um, happy and, yes. and warm and cuddly. Like yeah. I'm thinking about uh, yeah. oh. one of the mentors that Hallie and I had when we were just getting ready to get married and, and understanding that I know a lot of people walk through the rigors and the difficulty of divorce. Um, and so, and there's redemption and all of that, but she gave us a great gift of exhortation. She was about, I think three and a half feet tall is what it felt like. And she came outside of her screen door, not much to look at physically to speak of, but when she spoke, it was almost as if the heavens themselves opened. Mm. And she looked at me just before we were going to get married. And she said, you will never, ever, 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 ever. And that's not an exaggeration ever, ever get divorced. And, and in the 27 years that Hallie and I have been uh, together in, in this marriage, I have leaned into the comfort of yeah. that exhortation. I mean, that's it doesn't wonderful. sound very comforting, right? No, but that's Except good. it's somebody that you know who is so for you that comes with this word that says, do not walk in that way. That has surrounded us in some ways as a married couple that I'm entirely grateful for. It's indeed. Wonderful. All right. I think it's time for a special announcement. Oh, this is intriguing. I mean, I'm just going to let it pause there for a minute. Just let it soak in. This is a bigger teaser than a joke. Yeah, exactly. exactly. (laughs) I think it's mixed news. (laughs) So special announcement. Mm -hmm. After about 19 meetings with upper management and lawyers and local security, (laughs) we've decided to do Guy Talk Live November 18th right here at the University of Northwestern. Wow. Wow. So, so, we're gonna, so is that good news or bad news? I was going to say, does it seem, like, seem like a mistake on any level? Yeah. yeah. Guy Talk Live. That's not wonderful. Sure, not sure it's a great Do we idea. wear tuxes or what do we That'd do? It'd be nice to see you clean up a little bit more. <laughs> Should I wear my clergy collar? No, no, no. That would oh. scare people. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Particularly <laughs> us. <laughs> That's the purpose. Yeah. Okay. But I think we've got about uh, 40 seats open. Oh. We're going to do it in the atrium here at the University of Northwestern. So obviously it's for people in the local area, unless you want to make a drive to join us that day. It'll be uh, the guy talk live. It'll be a wow. ninety minute. Oh, that's Will they be able to ask us questions? Yeah, that's the whole point. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, that'll be really fun. So, if you want to get one of those seats, and there aren't going to be too many, text the word "event" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. They will be first come, first serve. I assume they'll go quickly, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I could be there's four will people there. Will they bring there. us presents? I hope not. Oh, but Bill, you brought us presents. There was today. a you lady. Brought... There was a lady that gave us left side. Oh, you that, remember yes. that? True. That was. So true. maybe they could bring us left side. Maybe they will. <laughs> maybe they will. But I don't know if this is against my better judgment or not. <laughs> but we've got a lovely space in the atrium, so we're looking forward to having some face-to-face time. With you, we'll have a 90-minute uh, version of Guide Talk, and you can bring your questions, and questions will be uh, texted in just like they are every time we do this. And if you want to be here for that, I would love to meet you, shake your hand, uh, look you in the eye, you know, be just great to connect and see who listens to Guide Talk yep. and who wants to be a part of a live showing of it. Again, it's Thursday, November 18th. Text the word EVENT. To eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Again, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. In the meantime, text your questions over to the same number, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Glad you've joined us today. I hope you're having a great day. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. Send your questions over at 877-933-2484. Here's a question. Uh, do you think Judas repented before he died? Nope. The New Testament doesn't give that picture. Yeah, it doesn't at all. Jesus it? said it would be better for that man who betrays the Son of Man that he would never have been born which I think means he went to hell and he didn't repent. And yeah. he, he had he, sorrow. He felt guilty. He, he hung himself. But Peter had the same sorrow, too, and he came to Christ with oh. it. Uh, Judas I, didn't. I think that's so. a, a key thing for all of us to learn. I've met a lot of people that regret what they did in their life, but they've never repented of what they've done, and repentance is what sets you free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, Judas, he was a zealot, right? And so the zealots really... That they really believed that the Messiah, when the Messiah showed up, would take over the Roman Empire and ascend to the throne in a physical geographic space. And so some of the speculation is that the reason why Judas decided to betray him was to force the issue and the confrontation that he wanted to see happen before the, between the Messiah and the Roman Empire and thus betraying him to the Roman army to, to sort of set up this this battle and what happens? Well, Peter goes rushing into the battle, cuts off the Roman soldier's ear. Jesus says, this is not going to be the deal. Forget it. And and heals the ear and then goes as this is sort of this quiet lamb to slaughter, to use some of the uh, biblical language of that. And in that, I think Judas had all of its hopes crashed down. Now, whether he actually even understood that he had made a mistake in the betrayal or if he just said, you know what? this was not the Messiah because there had been a lot of people that claimed to be the Messiah. And all of those people were claiming to take, they were going to take over the Roman empire and Judas might've just in despondency said, this is just another failed Messiah. It wasn't necessarily that he recognized Jesus as the Messiah and felt bad about it. He probably just lost hope you know, because this is another fake Messiah in his so, mind. And some of this is a mystery. Jesus said, did I not choose you the 12 myself? And yet one of you is a devil. And so Judas was there for a purpose, yep. to get the uh, crucifixion accomplished. Now, how this all works out regarding God and... But, you know, it. He, Judas was called a devil by Christ. It says Satan put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot on the, on the, uh, to, to, to betray the Christ. So, and I see, you know, again, because Jesus said it would have been better if he'd never been born... I think he's in hell. Mm. And but yeah, but he was sorry. Well, he was, you know, I think it's possible to be sorry for your sin and just cuz it's all catching up with you. I think if you let's say you're you're really sorry that you, you know, uh, committed a, a mass murder and so you kill yourself, does that mean you go to heaven? No. You have to come to Christ with your sorrow. J- Peter did, Judas didn't. So All right. Here's a comment. I question. I have a tendency to self-sabotage when things are going good. What scriptures would be good to memorize for this type of situation? Ooh, forgive yourself. I mean, he sounds like sometimes you want to punish yourself if things are going too well. And and sometimes I have to say, Lord, I trust, I, I receive your forgiveness, and I forgive myself. Because sometimes people try to punish themselves. So it's, it, that's why we need the cross, and our, our sins were punished, so you don't have to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm in my mind is coming through that passage where Jesus says that uh, take my yoke upon you for my my way is easy and my burden is light and and I think 
part of the invitation of, of discipleship is the unencumbered life. It's, it's the ability to live free from um, tremendous burdens. It doesn't mean that life isn't going to be difficult. I think life is going to be difficult for all of us. We're, we live in a broken, fallen, present darkness, principalities and powers, whatever language you want to use. We live in a world that is going to be really difficult. Yeah. Um, and, we, and we do have to pick up our cross and there is going to be sorrow and suffering. But somehow in the midst of that, the otherworldly um, intercessory power of the Spirit in the midst of our lives can create a sense of hope and joy and laughter and lightness in the midst of all of those things. It's it's not a denial of the circumstances, but those things kind of transcend the circumstances. So I think yeah. when somebody is sensing that, hey, things are good. Now, I'm not sure what metrics the listener is thinking of in terms of what is making life good. If those metrics are, hey, I've got a good job and my, my kids are healthy and all those sorts of things, those would get a little troubling to lean into as a, as a permanent sense of good. But I think you can live a lighthearted life for a lifetime in the midst of the sorrow of yeah. the world. And, and, and it, it takes full measure of the sorrow. We're not just saying the sorrow doesn't exist, but somehow the gifts of the kingdom persist in the midst of the sorrow in a way that creates a, a joy somehow, even yes. alongside the sorrow, right? Yeah. And I think that's the kind of right. thing that you can celebrate and not self-sabotage. The kingdom really is real. You, you don't have to deny it. Well, I hang on to John fifteen sixteen all the time. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit. And the marvelous thing about that is Jesus knows everything about us. He knows our ups and downs. Uh, I beat up on myself many times in life, as I'm sure we all have. But Jesus says, hey, let's go again. I've got a plan for you. And in the midst of that, I would advise the the person who wrote this in or called in that go back to that verse and, and almost hang it on your wall and say it every day for 30 days because the devil wants to convince us we're worthless mm-hmm. and that we don't deserve anything. And not deserve in the sense of salvation, but, you know, life should be miserable. Jesus says, no, I've got a better plan. Yep. Trust in me. And, you know, yeah. I uh, Martin Luther 500 years ago said these words, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. When I look at Christ, I don't know how I can be lost. Mm. Yeah. I love that wow. word. Yeah. Good wow. word. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have your Bibles open or in Luke 16. Help me make sense of the parable of the shrewd manager. I'm mm-hmm. confused as to what I should take away from that parable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, there's a rule in interpreting the parables that normally, except for a, a, an exception or two, normally a parable only makes one point. Mm-hmm. So the point of that parable is use your possessions wisely. It's not be a, a crook like this shrewd servant was and do things the way he does. That's not the point. That was the story, but the point of the story. So you don't want to get caught up in 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 uh, all the details. All the details are not to be pressed in a parable. It's a story, but you take the main point away. The one that you can kind of <clears throat> press every detail is the one in Luke. What is it? Twenty, twenty-one, whatever. The long parable about the the guy that lets the vineyard out to the. Uh, tenants, and he keeps sending these people, and he keeps killing them, and then finally he sends a son. Boy, in that one, every detail has a meaning. The vineyard is Israel. You know, the prior servants are the Old Testament prophets. The son is the son of God. The death is the cross. And that's one you can really press, but that's not the norm. Yeah. I think there's something in that parable about the the lack of stewardship within the nation of Israel, especially being manifested among the religious leaders of that time, meaning that the Pharisees were more concerned with their own theological gatekeeping power than they were with actually helping the people of Israel um, manifest God's light in the world. And so Jesus is always saying things like, you Pharisees, you teachers and hypocrites of the law, that that you basically, 
you look great on the outside, but inside you're filled with the bones of dead men. And so the message that you're bringing about who the kingdom is, you're actually keeping people out when they should be in. And so we see the start of what theologically is Israel's failure to um, understand who the Messiah is and what's coming. And, and Romans is very clear that Israel failed. And in their failure, God then brought the ministry to the Gentiles. But Romans is also equally clear that God is still coming back for Israel that God is not done. And so you see this kind of dynamic. You guys were talking a little bit about how Judas was used in some way. I don't know how we would even understand some of those troubling passages, Brock, that he th- mm-hmm. you said so well. But God will use the failures and will, and will sometimes even bring forth the failures in order for the bigger purpose of the kingdom to come. And in this parable, we see that the Jews were supposed to be the managers, as it were, of the kingdom. And yet by this time now, they'd become so corrupted that basically Jesus is warning. And Luke is all about a book about how the salvation and the gospel message is going to go now to the Gentiles. That's the whole purpose of the book of Luke. And so this parable fitting in that purpose is another example about how you failed as the managers, it's going out. But I think we want to be very clear to not be at all anti-Semitic in that because God is also clearly not done with Israel and is coming back for them as well. Yep. I love an additional piece sent by someone who said, regarding the discussion about do you want the good news first or the bad news? <laughs> I love this. My husband, who's in commercial truck sales, said they've always been instructed to say, I have some good news and I have some information. <laughs> <laughs> That's way better. That's quite <laughs> That would make me more nervous, I bet. They're, thereby couching the bad news as maybe only disappointing but not bad. Oh. Wow. Mm. Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I've had uh, surgery a couple of times. I prefer the doctor or surgeon not come into my room and say, Tom, you're going to die. <laughs> I like a little more positive on that. Yeah. Um, or you don't ever want to hear them say the word oops during the, <laughs> <laughs> during the procedure. Yeah. All right, here's a lighter question. This isn't deep, uh, but Tom wants to know, I'd like to know how all the men got together for Guy Talk. Hey, that's a good question. That is we should good. save that for the big uh, How did event. we get together? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it started with when I was doing the morning show, I met you, Peter, because someone came in and said this Peter Kaffner guy might be good on the radio, to which I said, no way. But I said, oh, definitely willing to give it a, ch- a try. I'm joking. Good <laughs> job. Good job. I got a joke about a dog. Can I tell you? Uh, no. No. Down. Down, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and no, so I think it was that morning I said, let's go in the studio and just record something. Yeah. And we did. And it was just instant connection it was really fun it was really fun and then i had tom brock on because i saw his tv show and i thought oh he'd be a good guest so i had him on a couple of times and and i said i think we're going to try this men gathering together on thursdays and just having an open forum discussion gathering of uh of guys just to discuss topics scripture cultural issues whatever and then you said after a while tom brock i've got a friend tom Parrish. i'll invite him along if you'd like i said bring him along and then i don't know how double seven got in yeah, I don't think any of us know that, but that's part of his, what he does. <laughs> just, yeah. like he, he just was yeah. here suddenly. Of course. Yeah. You know, I think we invited him. He was here. I was meeting with him about a half an hour before Guy Talk, and you came uh, wandering in, Bill, and we were here. We said, well, why don't we bring Justin on board? And he came right in. He was a game. Like came for moment, that day. It was his first moment he's ever had on the radio. He came yeah. right in and just killed it right and away. And Bill, how long have you been doing this? Uh, three and a half years. How did you get this job, if we can ask? Well, I started a weekend recovery show. I oh, went to right. the station manager and I said, I do a lot of volunteer work with people in recovery. And honestly, those stories are some of the most powerful I've heard. The transformation from being absolutely dead in sin and mm-hmm. addicted to drugs, uh, alcohol, and then to come to saving faith in Christ and, and lead a different life. So those stories are really worth hearing. And they said, and Neil Stavum, the manager said, why don't we try it for eight weeks? 
and that was like 10 years ago. Now. <laughs> wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. And they're great stories. Well, how long have you been with KTAS? Uh, well, 10 years now. Oh, I, would, it, I would think so. Because I, so week- I did the weekend show, oh. and then I started doing some fill-in work. I got you. Uh, do you want to fill in for Susie Larson? Do you want to fill in for Neil Stavum at Connecting Faith? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And I was scared to death to be in the studio by myself. <laughs> I think I still am. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather be here with guests. Humans. Yeah. Humans, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I'm for not sure. really good at the monologue part of the show, mm-hmm. but I, I love... I love guests, and mm-hmm. I think of myself sometimes just as the maitre d'. I get the table set, <laughs> get people at the meal, and then we all share. There we go. Yeah. So then I got offered the morning show, which was great, and I did that. And then the afternoon spot opened up, and they said, do you want that? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So Good. I didn't have to wake up quite so Good early. Good decision, Bill. Mm-hmm. There Thanks. you go. We love Bill. <clears throat> we do indeed. We were nice to say that. All right. So um, I think that answers that question, doesn't it? Yes. All right. Let's look Let's see what else is coming in here. Uh, that was a distraction, actually, me having to answer something. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a lot of people coming it's in for 445. the It's 4.45. Ah, we could take a break. There we go. Why don't we do that? That'll give me a chance to look over some of the texts that have come in while I was talking. All right. <laughs> You're listening to Guy Talk. We're doing the British version today, which means we're extending till 5.30 or 6.30 if you're in the Hartford area. Awfully glad you're listening and being with us today. Send questions over, 877-933-2484. or guys who talk, and seeing how Tom Brock is in the bathroom right now, <laughs> I think it'd be nice to bring up the fact he brought us back uh, Parmigiano Reggiano. This I'm not sure Italian how to say that either. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to make sure mine's been hermetically sealed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a long trip over, over the plane, but yeah. So he pulled it out of his leather jacket pocket. <laughs> he did indeed. Okay, quite down, da- here he comes. Yeah, thank you. Dairy is not something you normally pull out of your pocket, so we'll see how this goes tonight. <laughs> right. All right, here's a question. I'm looking your direction, Peter Kapsner. Uh, I think because you have younger kids. I do. Is the game Dungeons and Dragons safe for children, for Christians to play? Mm. I've heard that it has satanic undertones, but I'm curious about what you gentlemen have to say. Yeah, boy, I think I was probably one of the original dungeon masters when it first came out as a, as a game, maybe in the 1980s, and, and it seemed innocent enough at that point in time. And, and I think maybe in the initial versions of it, it probably was along those lines, but I know that as it began to explode into the popular psyche, that it started taking some pretty interesting, and, and then I would say even some twisted and demonic turns to it. And I remember we were playing it with some missionary children and, and friends in Panama when I was about 10, 11 years old, and we really enjoyed it. But by the time they came to visit us, maybe some year later, their parents said, no dice, we're not playing that game anymore. And and I think they're right to think that. And I know I've toyed around with it a little bit in terms of with my own kids, because kids love the sense of adventure and mystery and the possibility of fighting dragons and all that. But when you, when you get, you don't have to scratch very far underneath the surface now of that world building that is Dungeons and Dragons to find that there is a lot of satanic undertones. There's, there's demonic activity. There's, there's a lot of things that I just think shouldn't be messed around with at that age. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I have had the privilege in my ministry of leading men and women out of witchcraft, out of Satanism. 
and I'm still in contact with many of them in the Twin Cities, and they have told me flat out, stay away from that yeah. game. Yeah. And they will not allow their own children even to participate in Halloween. They said, we used to use that holiday as a masterful time to try to hurt other people. Stay away from it. So but what that's worth, you know, take that in because the devil works in very subtle ways. And it's never up front and big or overt. It's subtle and it comes in in a way that is fun. And I, and I don't know if we should use weird vibe as a discernment mm-hmm. tool, right? But I think you kind of can. Like, I remember walking around Games by James not too long ago at the local mall and, and looking for some different fun kind of adventure games. And there was a whole section on yeah. Dungeons & Dragons. And I don't think I was superimposing my pre-existing belief onto the games. I think it just flat had a weird intrinsic vibe yeah. to it that I was like, mm, this is just, this is odd. I'm yeah, not yeah. sure I want to engage in that at all. Yeah. How about sorry or checkers? Yeah, I played Candyland last night. That was solid. My my fourteen year old just destroyed me in Candyland, and I didn't get any weird vibe other than I lost. There you go. Yeah, the guy who invented Operation uh, was a second year grad student and sold it for five hundred bucks. Oh, oh. Yeah. classic mistake. Yeah, but it, it only sold forty million. Yeah, so, oh and he got zero royalties. Oh my, oh, my that's my. horrible. Yeah. Here's another question regarding Judas. He was one of the 12 Jesus sent out to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. How did he not believe Jesus was the real Messiah because of not only witnessing all of Jesus' miracles, but performing many himself? Well, that makes me think of the a similar verse where Jesus said, many will come to me on that day, last day. Lord, didn't we cast out demons sure. in your name? Do many, And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. So God can use somebody to do a miracle, mm-hmm. to uh, cast demons out. But if you don't really know Christ, if you're a worker of lawlessness, you're living in sin, and there's no repentance, uh, you're not going to make it. As long as it's my priority. And not Jesus' priority. I can see every miracle there is, and then I'll say five minutes later, do it again, just a little bit slower. Because human nature is that we see it through our perspective. In order to see it from the kingdom perspective, that's where pursuing Jesus is the key. We pursue him and make him the highest priority over everything else. We ultimately see who he really is, and we see what the miracles are about. Obviously, Judas did not do that. And as you pointed out, Peter, he wanted a revolution. He wanted a a Messiah to come in and get the Romans out. And obviously, he never let go of that priority. Yeah, I think if we lived uh, even a couple of days in that time with Jesus in that Mediterranean world, I think, Brock, you brought up something important that that I don't think that some of these supernatural events were as uncommon as if Jesus was the only one that could engage. Now, there was, a, there was a different quality to it, and there was a different power associated with it, but this was not unfamiliar territory for the people of the Scriptures. And so you have that combined with people who have been in a long-standing suffering relationship in which the voice of God has been absent for some 400 years, and now somebody comes and is demonstrating authentic power in the context of people who have been oppressed and believe that their oppression is going to be um, finally done away with when the, when Rome falls. So that's in, that's in a generational psyche of people who believe that really their freedom is going to come as soon as they can resume the throne of David and wield earthly power. So I don't think we can underestimate how... I would say this. I think there'd be every chance I would be terribly confused as an initial follower of Jesus, given that generational background. I sympathize with James and John. They're like, so wait a second. 
who's going to get the power sitting next to you on your left and right? Like, who gets to wield the earthly power? And 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 Peter's saying, you're not going to die. Give me a break. May it never be. You know, mm-hmm. they were all confused on they these were. levels. But I think in fairness, 400 years of utter silence from God, and then John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness, and the last time you've heard from God, it's about earthly power and wielding geographic earthly power. And Jesus is like, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm-hmm. It would be pretty easy to miss, I think, at that point. Looking back, it's easy to see the, the issue. But in the midst of it, I really do sympathize with, with how difficult it probably was for them. It wasn't until Pentecost, right, when Peter's like, oh, I think I get this whole story now as the Spirit came and intersected with his life, and he stood up, he's like, let me tell you the story. I get it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing the 11 hung on yeah, and actually did sure. make it to Pentecost and did go beyond that. And what I've always been astounded with is how Jesus' half-brothers, Jude and James, became, James became the head of the church in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. They grew up with Jesus. They knew every detail. They didn't believe in him yeah. until the resurrection. Right? But then, yeah. Yeah. but then they their whole heart changed. Yes, and that did. to me is an incredible miracle <clears throat> because when you're with somebody for so long and then suddenly they become famous or whatever else, you still know them as little Bobby or little Susie. <laughs> you don't think of them as something else. And they did, and I give them a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. So how do you hold these two ideas in your head? Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the peacemakers, yet he uh, fashions a cord of whips and and turns over tables in the temple. I would say he was making peace yeah, so by too. doing that. I agree. Because there was confusion in the temple courts with these shysters, if I can use the word, uh, hiking up the prices for their sacrifices and, and milking people's money out of them. So he was making peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, peace Sometimes, I mean, yeah. it's World War II. Yeah. It's it's uh, the uh, when we went to fight Hitler, we were making peace by that by that battle. We could have laid down and let him take over everything, but that's not making peace. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got to use the war, the mm-hmm. sword. Here's the problem: we keep wanting to impose our definition of peace or wealth or success on the Bible instead of letting the Bible tell us what it really is. And when we understand peace from the biblical perspective, sometimes there's great violence that goes with it because evil has to be stopped. Yeah, And I'm thankful there are people that do that. And Romans 13 says, it's okay to be a policeman. It's okay to be a soldier. God has given the sword to the government to protect us from evildoers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there I, I used to be kind of a pacifist, but boy, you study Romans 13, and God gives the sword to the government to protect us. And I'm thinking, too, the soldiers say to John the Baptist, what should we do? And he doesn't say stop being soldiers. He just says stop extorting money out of extorting money out of people. Yeah, I mean, when Jesus gets angry, right? There, there's a certain subset of people in which that anger manifests in that uh, temple turning, overturning kind of way. It's always for the religious gatekeepers who are leading the people astray. I mean, these are pre- it's pretty significant language when Jesus says you might as well just tie a millstone around your neck and yeah. chuck yourself in the water, or or you travel under over land and sea to make a disciple of yourself, and now you're making them twice as much of a son as, uh, of hell as you are. These, this is. Whew. Now, Jesus does not deal with everybody in that way, but he absolutely deals with the gatekeepers that way because they're keeping people away from the kingdom by their false teaching. And he doesn't have any patience for that. And it's not because he has to somehow show his power. He, like, he so loves and desires the reconciliation of all things that when people stand in the way, he's not going to let that stand in the way. Uh, that So that anger is reserved specifically for the gatekeepers of the day that are leading people astray, which I think leads into not many of you should want to be teachers. It's, it's a sobering thing. It you're, held, it's, you're, it's, you're held accountable for it this stuff. Is. If you're not humble as a teacher, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. We're going to do an extended version of Guy Talk today, so we have 30 more minutes coming up after the top of the hour break. So I will uh, maybe extend this question into the second half hour coming up next, but 
this kind of plays along with what we're just talking about. Where do you draw the line between revenge and holding someone accountable regarding the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5 and Luke 6 in the case of like a wrongful death due to careless driving? Is it wrong to consider a lawsuit when criminal charges are not filed by the county attorney? That's a tough question. I think of 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says you can't take a believer to court, but I think you can take an unbeliever to court. And so I, that's, that's one thing you'd have to chew on. If, if uh, Paul says, you know, don't you have people in the church you can take you these lawsuits? But no, brother goes to brother against, uh, to, against one another to the pagan law courts. So if you have an issue with a Christian, you're ready to sue the Christian, you really got to step back from that. But if they're an unbeliever, I think Romans 13 again, God gives us the government to protect us. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got another 30 minutes with the guys for Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. So let me know what your questions are. There's still have a gr- bunch of great questions that we haven't got to yet, but we're going to, would love to hear from you as well. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. The power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish and Dr. Peter Kapsner. And so we're going to take a short break, and at the top of the hour, we'll be back with more Guy Talk. So again, love to hear from you. Let me know what your questions are. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.